Good morning. Welcome to the Christian Church of Estes Park. We're disciples of Jesus that build disciples of Jesus. My name is Aaron, and we pastor and get to bring the message today. And I'm grateful to have you all here today. Thank you for braving the snow. It's wonderful to have you. As we're going to be continuing our series on powerful faith. And uh, the, today is actually a pretty important one. Last week we talked about where does the essentials of faith, the prerequisites of faith, if you recall those, that's that we first have to start. Powerful faith begins by hearing. We have to hear from God. God's not going to uh, do what uh, we ask. He asks us to do what He asks, right? That's where powerful faith begins, is to discover what God's will is. And then once we hear from Him, then we have to trust Him that He's got the power to do that and, of course, to act. And so uh, that's where it all begins. And today, as we go through Abraham's life, you're going to see that theme continue over and over and over again. There's a reason for that. But uh, today, we're actually going to go into talking about how does that powerful faith continue? Like, how does it get to the point where we get to see the promise? Because we would say powerful faith is actually the faith that gets to enjoy the mountains moving, right? Get to see it happen. And uh, what we find is in, uh, in our lives, I don't know if you're like me, but oftentimes it's easy to begin with faith. Right? A lot of times we start, but it's the finishing that matters, right? The most important step of the journey is the last one. That's when you actually complete it. And we see in, in Scripture so many times where we have people start with great, have a great beginning, a great start, and then they lose faith and then they miss out on the promise. Think of like uh, the people of Israel, right? When they were set free from Egypt. They, they started really well. They saw the, the amazing works of God, they, the, the, the plagues. They got to see uh, God save them through the Red Sea. They walked through the Red Sea on dry land, saw God destroy the most powerful military force in the, up to that point in the history of the world, save them from that. They got to eat manna, right? Just God sustaining them. They got to see God were on the fire on the mountain and heard God's voice. They saw the, the tablets that God scribed on, on the rock with his own hands, right? They got to see all of these things. And I think sometimes we think that if we just have this experience with God, if I just see God, if I have enough of it, then I will have faith forever. But those very people, God brought them up to the promised land, the land that he had been promising for generations and promised them, led them all the way to the mountains and then right up to the promised land, toes in the Jordan. They were right there in the water, looking across, not a very big river, that was it. And their faith carried them all the way up to that point. And then they lost faith. And God didn't abandon them, but they abandoned the promise. And so for 40 years, that generation wandered in the wilderness till they died off. And then the promise was given to another generation. Or in the New Testament, the rich young ruler, his entire life, right? worshiping God, obeying the commands, trusting that God was good, right? And that his way was good and he was going to reward faithfulness and all of this, expecting the Messiah. And then when Jesus showed up, this righteous young man had recognized Jesus as the Messiah as he was and went and traveled to him. His faith carried him right up to the Messiah. And Jesus offered him an amazing position. Invited him to even become one of his disciples. But he didn't have enough faith to cross that threshold. I mean, if he just would have crossed, we'd be naming our kids after him today, wouldn't we? 
Now we know nothing about him other than he was a person that, unfortunately, stepped back, didn't have the faith to finish. I don't know about you, but I don't want to have a faith that starts. I want a faith that sees us to the end, a faith that takes us to the promise. Isn't that what we want? Promised land faith. And so we have prerequisites for faith that we talked about last week, but today we're going to talk about what is it? What are the secrets? What, what is it in faith that allows us to finish? Where does enduring faith come from? And I think you're going to enjoy it. Now, before we get to it, of course, we have our memory verse. And our memory verse comes to us from the Gospel of Matthew, where Jesus was talking to his disciples and, and the crowds. He said, remember, if the context, before we memorize Scripture, just the context that Jesus had sent his disciples out to cast out demons to heal people. And they were doing a great job casting out demons, healing people. They were seeing the miraculous. They came across this young man who was possessed by this demon that gave him seizures and uh, the seizures would cause him to almost kill himself and do all kinds of things. And the disciples couldn't cast this demon out. They were doing all the right things. In the name of Jesus, cast you out. And that works most of the time, but it didn't work for this one. And so the boy's father gets upset and starts doubting the power of Christ. And then Jesus says to him, hey, truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you could say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. And then Jesus casts out the demon, and the boy falls down, violently shakes. The demon comes out with a loud screech. He's gone. And later on, the disciples come up to Jesus and say, okay, how come we couldn't do that? And Jesus says to them, well, this kind of demon only comes out with prayer and fasting. <laughs> oh, naturally. Now, sometimes we take this passage, and why I want to give you context the weeks before we, we, we memorize this is because oftentimes this passage is abused. It's used to tell you if you just had enough faith, you could do things. But that's not the point. There are some things in this world that we can't do. The point is that if you just had enough faith, you would have the faith as small. The point isn't how much faith you need, it's how little faith you need. Because you're not the one that does it. Some demons, it's just by God. We just got to pray and fast. It's just by faith that God's going to do what we can't. The faith that's tiny as a mustard seed can allow God to do the impossible. And that's what we're being called to. Because I don't know about you, but I want to see mountains move. Right? I want to see what happens in this world when God shows up in a way that we can't take credit for, but we're part of it. Eyewitness, participants in the very power of God and his redemptive work even here in this valley today. It's not how much faith we have. It's how little is actually needed because our God is so powerful. That's what we're being called to. And that's the faith and understanding of this God is going to allow us to finish that, cross that finish line, which is why this series, we're going to set this to our heart. Let it be a filter for us as we continue into God's word. So this is what I can do. Just say it along with me a couple times and then we'll get into the message. So here you go. Three, two, one. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 17, 20. All right, sounds so good. Again, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 17, 20. One more time. Truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to 
there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 17, 20. All right, let's test ourselves. Truly, I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Matthew 17, 20. Oh, isn't that awesome? Isn't that empowering? And the thing was, remember when I told you when I was a young believer and I went outside into my front yard and I looked at Long's Peak and I said, Long's Peak, in the name of Jesus, move from here to there and it didn't move. And that's so, so difficult. Well, here's the thing. If I had heard from God, that's why powerful faith starts with hearing. If God told me, Aaron, you tell Long's Peak to move. Even if I walked outside and said, well, that is ridiculous. But God, all right, you told me to say Long's Peak, move. And I said, Long's Peak, move from here to there, it would have moved. That's the power of it. The question is we have to start by hearing, hearing from God. That's the first thing. Mountains move when God wants them to, and so we have to start by listening, trusting, and then we take that action. And so we start there, but that's not where we finish. Last week we talked about Abraham, how he had that, how God gave him a passage. God gave him a, a promise, something impossible. And he heard from God, and he listened, and he took action. So if you have your Bible, let's just go refresh ourselves. Turn to chapter 12 of Genesis. Amazing guy, Abraham. In verse 1 of Genesis 12, it says, The Lord has said to Abraham, Go from your country, from your people, from your house, father's household, to the land I will show you, and I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. To those who bless you, I will bless, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the people of the earth will be blessed through you. So Abraham went as the Lord had told him. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that powerful? Heard from God, trusted him, and believed, right? That was, that was awesome. So the two promises Abraham receives are two crazy awesome things. The first one, you're going to get land, and this land's going to be in your family forever, and the second one is you're going to have descendants. So it's going to be awesome. You're going to have a lineage. The world's going to be blessed through your descendants. How cool is that? A land and a people. Uh, two problems with that too. The first one, Abraham, you're going to have land, so I want you to leave your land. How easy would it have been God to say to Abraham, I'm going to give you your property forever. This land that you now live in and that your ancestors were in, this is your land. Keep what you already have and I'll increase it. Wouldn't that make sense? I mean, if you're going to start by giving me property, why don't we start with what I already got? But God says, I'm going to give you a land, and I want you to take, to believe me that I'm going to give you land by giving up the only land that you have. Counterintuitive, at best. And the second one, you're going to have kids. Well, the problem is, just a couple verses before that, in uh, verse uh, 11, chapter 11, verse 30, it says here that Sari, which his wife, was childless because she was not able to conceive so I'm going to give you kids with your wife who can't have kids. You see an issue. We talked about last week, when we hear from God, he oftentimes calls us to that which is impossible for us. That which we can't fully wrap our minds around, can't figure out how on earth this is going to happen. Because we can't do it in our own power. And if God doesn't show up, it's not going to happen, Right? That's the whole point. That's why he calls us to it. It's the evidence that he's real. And so God calls us to big things. Now, there was something with Abraham. It's not just that his wife couldn't conceive, but, but look at verse 4, chapter 12, verse 4. 
It says, so Abraham went as the Lord had told him, with Lot was with him, but Abraham was 75 years old when he left for Haran. So it's not that God just said, hey, your wife hasn't had kids yet, and they were just, you know, young kids, right? They were in their 20s. They've been married for a few years. No, no, no. They were well past the years to have kids. So God gave him this promise. Now that you're old and you have all of this property and spent your entire life, your entire life working for what you now have, I want you to give it away. So I'm going to give you something. And now that you've gone to the very end phase of your marriage, past the childbearing years and all of that, and you haven't been able to have kids, regardless of all your effort, I'm going to give you a family. They heard from God the ridiculous. And to believe God was a cost cost them their land, but also probably cost them their esteem in a lot of people's eyes. Be like, that Abraham, that dude lost it. Right? God already gave you land, Abraham. You've worked for it your entire life. You're on it. Abraham says no. And think about Sarah. You don't think that she got criticized? Maybe a little bit. Your husband's a loony. Sarah, did you hear from God? No. Uh, God spoke to Abraham. And you're going to let him just sell everything and you're going to move with him? And you're going to have kids? Are you kidding me? Think of the faith they had to have. That God called them to something big. God called them not to something big. God called them to the impossible. And that's the point. How will we ever know that God is amongst us if we never see the impossible become possible? If we could just take credit for everything, couldn't we just say, well, we just did this? What is the evidence in the world that God is still amongst us, still at work, still doing? It's when he does when we can't. And so we see God calls him to the impossible, and yet we see if you, in Genesis uh, chapter 21, just a few chapters later, God did all these amazing things, and then it says Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised him. Isn't that awesome? God called them to the impossible. They heard him. They trusted him. They took action. And then, boom, they got the promise. But it wasn't that easy, was it? Isn't life a lot harder than that, than all you just believed and all of a sudden, boom, you're there? God didn't just call Abraham, hey, I'm going to give you property, and then, boom, he moves him to the promised land, just materializes him there, and he's got the deed to a new land. There's a lot that happened in those chapters. I think sometimes we read the scripture and we read it like a, a rock skipping across the top of the, of the lake. Right? We just see the high points. Quickly skipping across. We fail to get deep. And then when our life gets awfully deep, then all of a sudden we're like, where are you, God? There's a lot that happened in between the promise and the fulfillment. A whole lot. Genesis 21.5 tells us this, that Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. 100 years old. Consider that for a moment. He was 75 when he got the promise. He was 100 years old when he got the fulfillment. Now, I'm not awesome at math, but I think it's around 25 years. That was, you know, basically a third of Abraham's life before that, right? He lived a whole quarter of his life just waiting for a promise. 
But it wasn't just that he waited 25 years. 25 years is a long time to wait for God to keep his word. Every single day, it's easy for us, and then we look back on it. Oh, what's the big deal, Abraham? That's only a chapter, couple chapters. 25 years, but every year made the promise more impossible. It wasn't like they, they, God gave them a promise, and then they could see it slowly become fulfilled. You know, I think for us, we, we start to, to take a direction of something. If we see progress, then we're encouraged. We take next steps, right? Like, that's why most people, by about this week in uh, the year, they, they get rid of their, their New Year's resolutions. They start at the beginning of the year, and they started working out or eating right or doing something like that. And then they get to about this point, and they haven't seen any real change yet, so they lose heart, and they give up. That's how we are. Now, Abraham, if he didn't see any progress, it'd be easy to give up. And the thing is, is that when you start at 75 when it's already impossible, how more impossible it is when you're 76 to have a kid, or 77, or 78, or 79, or 80. I mean, as each year passed, it would appear from a human perspective that God's ability to, to keep his word became increasingly more impossible. The mountain wasn't just not moving, the mountain was getting bigger. That's pretty hard. And yet we get to the end when we see that God kept his promise. How is it that Abraham was able to keep faith all through those years through the times of silence and the times of waiting and the times of just this difficulty, the times of all the ridicule, all of that. How is it that his faith was able to do what the people of Israel weren't able to do when they saw all of God's amazing power? How is it that Abraham, when he just heard the voice of God, was enough to finish to see the promise? That's what we're going to talk about today. If you're your Bible, turn to chapter 16. In chapter 16, 10 years has now passed since God first gave the promise to Abraham, okay? So the first chapter of it, God gives him a promise, and it was exciting. And God says to Abraham at 75, I've got something big for you. You're going to bless the whole world through you. It's going to be amazing. I've got land for you. I've got a lineage for you. It's awesome. And Abraham and Sarah sold their things with great enthusiasm and started moving out. And then 10 years pass, and we get to chapter 16. Look at verses 1 through 4. It says, Now Sarah, Abraham's wife, had borne him no children. Ten years. No kids. Ten years. Have you waited on God for a while? Have you ever been at a point in your life where you were praying and waiting on God and just felt like it wasn't happening? You're not the first. In fact, one of the very first people of faith that we see was accustomed with this. God gave him a promise and ten years go by. And Sarah still had no children. And so what happens? But she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abraham, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So Abram agreed to what Sarah said. So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarah, his, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. And he slept with Hagar, and she conceived and if you go all the way down to verse 16, well, verse 15, it says, So Hagar bore Abraham a son, and Abraham named, uh, gave the name Ishmael to the son he had been born. 
And Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore him Ishmael. I mean, that's, it seems like uh, they solved God's problem. And I know that we who look back on this, it's easy for us to play armchair quarterback and be like, oh, Abraham and Sarah lost faith. But I would say probably not. I want you to consider this. This is Abraham who had been married to this woman, Sarah, and they probably got married in their late teens, early late teens. And they had been married for probably five, six decades before God even gave them the promise. And in a culture where polygamy was commonplace, and in a culture where we had uh, all kinds of different gods that was commonplace, Abraham was faithful to one God and one wife. Remarkably so. For all of these years, and despite everything around him, Abraham and Sarah were together. And they were committed to each other. And even through all of the years where Sarah couldn't bore him, bear him a child, Abraham, during those years, didn't take matters into his own hands and didn't go get a different gal. Even though culture would have allowed it. He was committed to her because he was committed to his God. Do you think it was a small thing for Sarah to say, after all of these years, I'm going to just uh, walk, step back? I mean, look what she says. The Lord has kept me from having kids. Sarah's faith was that I'm in the way. Abraham, God gave you the promise. Maybe I wasn't supposed to be part of that promise. Maybe I'm not the way that God wanted you to go. Maybe I had, I've been getting in between you and God's promise. Think of the faith it took Sarah to step away from her husband and to allow him to have a different woman. She wanted God's word to be kept so deeply. How hard that would be. And for Abraham, after all of these years of being faithful, waiting on God, telling everybody, I'm going to have a family, and it not happening, and never once considering going to somebody else, not once for him to hear his wife and the brokenness in his wife, to say, I'm willing to lay this down. I'm willing to lay all of it down. For the sake of God, has given us a call and I just can't see it happening. God hasn't done the miraculous in me. It was faith. It just wasn't powerful faith. It was misguided faith. You see, oftentimes when you wait for a while, don't we start to have that little voice inside that tells us maybe God's not coming through? And then we try to, to be God's advocate, right? Because we want to be good Christians and faithful people. We make excuses for God. Well, he hasn't come through yet because this big thing. And so we try to find ways to help him out. But the shortcut is not God's way. And so we find that Abraham and Sarah had probably good motives in this. They wanted to see God's name be praised. They wanted to, to finally silence the critics, I imagine. They probably wanted to say, okay, this is God's promise. And so they took matters in their own hands and they had a baby and Ishmael was born. And I imagine for some time, they thought that they had, they had done it. In fact, if you look at chapter 17, all right, if we get there, this is the next chapter, Realized that 13 more years had passed. 
So now this baby, for 13 years, Ishmael's born. We don't have any indication that God ever talked to Abraham in between that time, right? Abraham and, and, and uh, Hagar had this child, and Abraham thinks, God, we kept God's promise for him, right? Probably thinking, this is the child of promise. Even Sarah thinks it's the child of promise. 13 years, they believed that they had done God's will by going around his ways. And then we find that the promise has problems. There's some issues between Abraham and, or Sarah and, and uh, Hagar. There's some trouble in the home because of how they went about and did things. And then we read in verse 15 and 16 down there, uh, it says, God said to Abraham, as for Sarah, your wife, you should no longer call her Sarah, but her name will be Sarah. And I will bless her, and I will surely give you a son by her, and I will bless her so that she'll become the mother of all nations. Kings of all people will come from her. Think of a strange promise that would be for Abraham to finally hear. After 13 years of waiting, right? 13 years of thinking God kept his promise. 13 years, okay, he's done that. I'm still waiting on the land, but God's kept the promise. And then God shows up to him and then says, you know what? I've got my promise still to keep. And Abraham's probably like, wait a second, we, we already did that, right? In fact, uh, you read in verse 17, the next thing there, it says, Abraham fell face down and he laughed to himself. He said, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? And Abraham said to God, if only Ishmael might live under your blessing. <laughs> Isn't how it works? They thought we had solved God's problem for you and now... Now that it's even more impossible, you couldn't keep the promise when I was 75. And now where I'm 100, you want to keep the promise? Nah, we did what you didn't do for us, God. We waited on you. We solved your problem. Can you at least bless my kid? And sometimes in the waiting, we get a little bit cynical. Doesn't that happen? Saying, you know, God, I trust that you could do all these big things, but I haven't seen it in my own life as much. So just, just let what we've done, let it be enough. Would you bless this little bit? But here's the thing. Ishmael wasn't impossible. Ishmael made a whole lot of sense from human terms, right? I mean, it's gross, but an old guy can have a kid with a young, with a young woman, right? It's not the first time that ever happened in history. That, that happens. Humans are like, okay, we accept. That is possible. But God was creating an impossible nation to do an impossible thing. And look at the story of Genesis. We've read through it mostly, you know, I've gone through the church so far. The, the, the Bible reading so far. We've seen how people have this amazing ability to rebel against God. Our moral compass is broken. So God says, all right, I'll give you a chance to rule the world. And so we did. We stole it from him. And what's the first thing that we find? The very first siblings murder each other. Right? That's a great start. And we haven't got a whole lot better since then. And things devolved to the point where God was like, everybody's thoughts was wicked all the time, even though what they thought they were doing was righteous. They all did what was right in their own eyes. We get down to Noah, the last righteous man, and God's like, I'm going to give you a fresh start. Have you ever thought if God could just wipe away all the stupid people, we'd be fine? He did it once. And look around. Y'all good, but look around. The thing is, is you can't just start from a righteous seed. We're all unrighteous. That's the point. And right after they got off the mountain, what do the people do? 
They get off the mountain, they're like, hey, let's go build a super tall tower, taller than any flood ever could be. We'll make a name for ourselves, we don't need God. And that was from the righteous beginnings, remembering the consequences. I mean, the world was still wet. When people failed, had the capacity to serve God and to seek after Him, and where we were just bent on our own destruction, God said, I'm going to create a people. And He took this man, Abraham, to do the impossible. He said, I'm going to draw you back to me. I'm going to create a way back for us to have a reconciliation, to do the impossible task, to change this brokenness inside of humanity, to restore us back to an amazing, perfect creation, which he designed us to live with to begin with. And so it was an impossible task, and it had to start with an impossible nation, which means it had to start with an impossible baby. And I'll tell you, you're 100 years old, and your wife's like 90, you're going to have a baby. Even Abraham and Sarah at some point gave up and said, it can't happen this way. 13 years before this. And 13 years passed where they live in this blissful ignorance with all of the problems that it created. And then God shows up and says, no, let me remind you who I am, right? Let me remind you. And God said to Abraham, your wife Sarah is going to have a baby. That's amazing. And so Abraham had this opportunity at that particular time to hear again God's promise, right? He could either, he heard God again say, I'm calling you back. You weren't faithless. You weren't like the people of Egypt, right, of Israel that got their toes in the water and said, God can't do this. You had faith, but you lost faith in my power. And he says, listen, I'm calling you back. Can you trust me again? And he gives Abraham this amazing thing. He says, I'm giving you a new name as an example, a sign of that faith. And I'm giving you a sign called the circumcision as well, right? But I'm going to give you this this symbol that you would have to say, I'm trusting God. One more time. And isn't it the second giving of the promise always harder to receive than the first? When Abraham was back in the Ur of the Chaldeas, right? When he was back there and things were were comfortable, and God gave him this exciting new adventure. It was like, yes! But then after he waited and waited and waited and waited and waited, and and after then they, they thought that they had solved God's problem, and God says, no, you need to trust me, now that it's even more impossible, wouldn't it be harder now? But Abraham heard God, and he trusted him. And I'll tell you, as a 100-year-old man, To allow yourself to be circumcised, that's a lot of faith. That's trust. That's saying, okay, God, this is more than just words. I'm going to take a new name. I'm going to allow you to change me who I am one more time. I'm going on a limb. I'm going to trust you that you're going to keep your word. How amazing is God? Now, let's say something we look at at Abraham and his life at this particular time. He's pretty old. He's had a long time to to walk through, but this is Abraham, the man who boldly walked by faith and sold everything and left. A man who is now, you know, in his life, he still doesn't have the promise. This is a man of great faith, but we see that in his faith, it faltered, didn't it? Over time, his faith in God to do the impossible started to diminish. 
until they took things in their own hands. And it occurred to me as I was reading this, but also I went through several other heroes of faith and studying for this, and it was fun to kind of go through and to see that there was something in there that was pretty consistent, is that people of great faith, they could start well, but time is like a solvent. It's like faith solvent, like paint thinner, right? They could start with amazing faith, faith enough to say, we're selling everything, I'm going to go on this land, I'm going to tell people all these things, I'm going to walk as a nomad, I'm going to do all that kind of stuff, right? Faith can get a good start, but over time, as we wait for God, even the strongest believer's faith begins to kind of soften, smear a little bit. And it's not that God saw this as unexpected. It's not even like, look how God, how he talks to Abraham in this. He doesn't condemn Abraham for having Ishmael at all. He's not like, I can't believe you did that stupid thing. I'm going to curse that kid. I'm going to make him horrible for you. I'm going to give my promise to somebody else. That's not how God acts. Abraham's faith grew soft, and Abraham, at the time, it allowed him and Sarah to start playing these mental games to, to, to justify God's seeming inaction, and their faith didn't go away. It just got soft. It lost its power. And I'll tell you, if you have been waiting on God for a while, you're not better than Abraham. Let none of us be so prideful to think, oh, by my might, my faith will never go soft. I'll trust in God to the end, just on my own super spiritual strength. (laughs) Yeah, you're not going to have that happen. That time has a way of withering. God understands. God gives an answer for that. But God's reply to Abraham in the midst of this, even when Abraham had failed, had taken things in his own hands, and out of ignorance... (laughs) And God, and Abraham says, you know what? Let my son be enough. Look how God replies to him. He says, God said, yes, but your wife Sarah will bear you a son. After Abraham said, oh, just let, just let Ishmael be enough. No, Sarah's going to bear a son. And you will call him Isaac. And I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant and hit to his descendants after him. God's not deterred. God didn't remove the promise. God just said, trust me one more time. And then look about what he does for Ishmael. He says, as for Ishmael, I have heard you and I will surely bless him and I will make him fruitful and greatly increase his numbers. Think how merciful God is in that. He's not like, no, Ishmael's nothing to me. He said, no, he's just not the promise. He wasn't impossible. I'm going to do the impossible. And I've got grace for you, even in your failings. If your faith has started to grow cold in God, Sometimes what happens is that we want to hide from God, don't we? And run away from Him. God is big enough to handle your criticism. He's big enough to handle your, your doubt. He's big enough to handle, you know, you're, you're saying, well, I've been waiting, I've been waiting, I'm waiting, where are you? Just like Abraham laughed at God. And God didn't say, fine, get out of here. He said, no, I hear you, I understand. But here's the promise. Here's the promise. You can trust me. And if you trust, you turn on the, and you act, you're going to receive it. I don't curse you for your past. He's got grace enough for that. But he says today, trust me. Trust me. And Abraham does. But you notice Abraham was only half the, the equation there. It wasn't just Abraham's kid. Abraham could have a kid in his old age. He already proved that with Hagar. 
the miracle with Sarah, right? And so the very next thing that we read, the very next chapter, verse uh, chapter 18, is so cool because we see God speaking to her as well. Now, several months had passed since God gave the covenant to Abraham, right? All the guys were circumcised now. They had all done that kind of stuff. And it's an interesting chapter that God and two angels show up, and they're going to go check out Sodom to see if it should be torched. And spoiler alert, it did, right? And so on their way there, Abraham recognizes that God shows up, and he's like, let me make lunch for you. And God's like, okay. So they sit down on this tree, and God goes and is resting, and Abraham goes and prepares lunch, and Sarah's all part of that, and then all this kind of stuff, and then they go and serve it to God. And, and as they're sitting there, you think God understood that Sarah might be by the tent just listening? It's like, hey, what's going on? You know, when God shows up, kind of don't know what he's saying. And so he does, and then in verse uh, 9 through 14, that's what we're going to read. It says, uh, this is God speaking. It says, where's your wife, Sarah? They asked him. Well, there in the tent, he said. Uh, Then one of them said, I will surely return to you about this time next year, and Sarah, your wife, will have a son. Now, Sarah was listening at the entrance to the tent, which was behind him. Abraham and Sarah were already very old, and Sarah had passed the age of having childbearing. So Sarah laughed to herself as she thought, After I'm all worn out and my Lord is old, will I now have this pleasure? I love her sarcasm. Then the Lord said to Abraham, Why did Sarah laugh and say, Will I really have a child now that I'm old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And Sarah was afraid, so she lied and said, I didn't laugh. But then he said, Yes, you did laugh. (laughs) I love God. So good. Neither Abraham or Sarah had lost faith in God, but they did lose faith in his power's ability to do it, right? Also, at some point, they kind of lost faith, like saying, do I even want this promise? I've been waiting for it so long, it's become sour to me almost. Did you hear that? Now that I'm all worn out, well, I really now have this privilege, this pleasure. I think there are times that sometimes that we wait on God so long that we think that the, the fulfillment's not even worth it anymore. But I'll tell you what, as soon as Sarah had a baby, you get to that chapter 21. She sings praises to God. She says, I can't believe God did it. He came through. But even in the moment, even when her heart was bitter and broken, God spoke the promise to her. And how crazy cool is that? Because at first, all those years ago, God just spoke to Abraham and she just had to trust him. But now at the end, she got to hear from the mouth of the Lord herself, I'm going to come through. And she had to decide. And I think it's so cool that, that when he called her out on, on the fact that she had kind of a bad attitude, and she was like, no, no, I don't, I'm fine. God's like, yeah, you have a bad attitude. But it doesn't change his promise. It doesn't change how good he is. Our God is faithful and merciful and kind. And he just required from Sarah faith the side of a mustard seed. Say, can you trust me one more time? Can you trust? And so they heard God. They listened. They, they believed him. They trusted him. And then they acted in 21. That's the fun chapter. That's the chapter we all want to get to, isn't it? As we get there, we find that Abraham and Sarah did have just mustard seed faith. But that's all is required. 
God moved the mountain in their life, this amazing, impossible thing that was just ridiculous. And we find there in 21, it says, Now the Lord was gracious to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age, just as God has promised him. And look at verse 6. Sarah said, God has brought me laughter. And everyone who hears about this will laugh with me. And God said, and then she added, Who will have said to Abraham and Sarah that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne to him a son, even in my old age. When you see God show up, it's almost ridiculous. It's so cool. The joy returns. It's, it's not God didn't hold out on them to make the promise worse. He held out on them to the promise was impossible so they could not deny his presence in their life. And the joy returns with the promise. It is worth it. Abraham and Sarah's faith wasn't perfect, but it did endure. It crossed the finish line. And because of that, God did the impossible. And now we have a nation. We have a people that has come. So that Messiah could be born to do the most impossible thing. And God kept his promise. He gave them the land for every generation. And thousands and thousands of years, this was 3,500 years ago. And the only country that's still around that was back then, (laughs) that started, that we went to last year, is a place called Israel. Named after one of Abraham's kids. And we're going to go back in a couple of years, 2021. And you will see God's promise fulfilled. He keeps his word. But even more than that, God sent a child that all the world will be blessed. And the Messiah came and God did the impossible and God became man and died on the cross for our sins and raised again, proving himself to be real. Reconciling us back to our creator, creating a whole new kingdom. God does the impossible. And Abraham and Sarah got to finish that, got to enjoy the promise because their faith endured. So in this chapter, in these chapters, and in the lives of those who have been shown faith throughout their life, what are some of the things that are consistent? How do we see the difference between faith that endures and faith that doesn't? Well, as I was studying this, there were three things that I found that were consistent. When Abraham, when you look at David, you look at Peter, you look at John, you look at some of these guys whose faith endured over the long haul. There were three things that I found was very consistent in all of them in Scripture. And the first one is this, is that enduring faith requires patience. Right, we're not a patient people, right? When I make a hot pocket, I burn the top of my mouth because I'm too impatient to wait for it to cool down for one minute, right? That's how we are. But I'll tell you this, that God's Timing is just as perfect as his call. When God called Abraham, it said that he gave her a child in the exact time that he just like he had promised. Now, I'm sure Abraham and Sarah were like, that's a little slower than I thought it would be, but God's not slow in keeping his promises, as the word says, as some people consider it slow. God is faithful that his timing is absolutely as perfect as the promise that he's keeping. And so we must touch, trust his timing as much as we trust his power. In the waiting, it doesn't mean God is not at work. For us, it may seem like he's not at work, but God is at work. It is impossible for him to lie. And because time is corrosive to faith, we see how God helped Abraham and Sarah back to faith. He reminded them of the promise, right? 
It wasn't another sign of his power. God didn't show up and do a miracle for Abraham and Sarah to call them back to faith. He brought them one more time to say, this is the promise. Can you trust me? And that promise once again allowed them to have their faith rejuvenated. You and me, we're no better than Abraham, no better than Sarah. When God gives us a promise and we're in the waiting, we need to be reminded of his power and his promise consistently. That's one of the main reasons for church and this community. We meet together regularly to remind each other that God is real. And I pray for you every week, each one of you by name. And it's not, and I know that a lot of you pray for each other. And so it's not uncommon. We see on a regular basis, God answer prayer for somebody in the congregation. Something we've been praying for, an impossible thing happens. And what happens when God answers a prayer? It encourages us. Our faith is reminded that our God is real and he's powerful and he's present today. He might not have answered my prayer yet, but that's the same God. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to keep following him until he works for me as well. I'm going to wait for him. I'm going to trust him. Christians that go their own way and try to move out on their own and don't have the blessed community of a church, their faith dissolves like paint, just doused and thinner. Over time, it becomes soft and it fizzles away. We need each other to help each other be patient. And as we're waiting on God, he also works in us. What's one of the fruits of the Spirit? Patience. And that fruit never grows fast enough, does it? But it grows. That God's there helping you wait. In the New Testament, we have an amazing gift. It wasn't a promise for the Old Testament. They didn't get the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit to give them this fruit and transformation. And then today, if you are in Christ, God is at work inside of you, giving you the power to wait on Him. So let's wait. Let's wait in faith, not tricking ourselves in our minds that we have to manipulate God and do things in order to have His timing match ours. Can we trust God? Can you trust God today? One more day, and He's going to keep His word. And as we do that, the second key that I found that every single person in the New Testament and the Old Testament who had enduring faith was this, dependence. They all had to depend on God. They all had to have a point at which they said, I can't do this. This is impossible for me. It's in, it can't be done. But I'm trusting you, God, to do it. Dependence, taking a step of faith, of saying, God, I'm going to trust that you're going to keep your word. Every one of them. Because God calls us to the impossible because he's the only one that can make it possible. That's the evidence of him in our life. You can't fake God's work. Abraham and Hagar figured that out, right? And sometimes he allows us to do that and gives us a period of time that makes us think that we did God's thing and before all the trouble hits. But you can't fake God's work. You can't force his hand. God's not going to be manipulated. It's one of the things about God, right? You can't can't make him like, God, you better do this. If you do this thing for me, then I'll do that. God is not into quid pro quo. That's not how he works. God says, this is what I'm going to do in my time. And I'm going to ask you just to trust me, just to trust me. Not tomorrow, trust me today. And tomorrow you can trust me for tomorrow. And the next day you can trust me for that next day. But I'll tell you, someday you're going to cross into the promised land. There's a day you're going to get to the Jordan and you're going to get past it. And you're going to see my power in your life. So don't turn back. Don't turn back. And in order to do that, 
We need to be walking then close with Christ. And that's the whole purpose on worship, isn't it? Whatever our lives revolve around, that's what we worship. And that's why God says, I invite you in to experience me. Worship me with your time. Start your week with me. Every week, remind yourself who I am, my power, my grace, my goodness, my promises. Be here. Be present. Start your day with me. See my word come alive in your life. Talk to me. Worship me with your time. Worship me with your abilities. Don't just live for your own power. Use your gifts to serve me and to serve others. He calls us to do that so we can see his work come alive through us. Worship me with your treasure. So stop trusting in yourself. I've got you. Seek first the kingdom of God, his righteousness. Everything else I'll take care of. That builds our faith. Worship. It allows us to realize that we're always dependent upon God. And as we walk in that dependence and, and, and we trust in him, then we recognize there's also a third thing that's been present in every single one of these. And this surprised me, but it's true. It's repentance. I can't find anybody in the Old Testament that really just did it all perfect. I mean, a, a case can kind of be made for Joseph, but he was kind of a punk at the first. Right? But the idea is that we get off on our own track. We get off into pride. We, try, we do like Abraham does. We have our own little Ishmaels in our life and we do all these kind of things. But when God calls us back, the question is, are you going to return? When he says, no, this is my promise. Are you willing to step back in? When you recognize you've gotten off track, even if it was out of just ignorance, if you kept faith in God, but you lost faith in his power, are you willing to step back and say, no, my God is powerful enough. I'm going to trust him. Isn't it comforting to know that all of the great people of faith before us have had steps off of the path and then God showed them how to get back on and they did that? Because I don't know about you, but I tend to run into the ditches a lot. But my God says, no, you can come back. Here's the path. Do it. Trust me. And so for you, if you've fallen off the path, you're not like, unlike any of the saints before you or the saints after you. The question is, powerful faith requires you to get back on the path. Will you repent? Will you turn back to God and say, yes, your power is enough. I'm going to trust your promise. I'm going to start living today again for you. I'll tell you, if we have these things, and it just was convenient that it was three, but I was looking in the Word. What is there? What is the difference between those people just have faith but their faith leads them to wander in the desert for 40 years. And the faith that process, crosses in the promised land is this. We have to have a faith that is patient. God doesn't work on our time frame, right? But we have to have a faith that, that's willing to say to God, you know what, I hear you. And I'm going to come back to exactly what you called me to do. You know, we have this faith that, that says, God, I'm going to rely on your ability, not my understanding. That's the kind of faith that carries us to the end. Because I'm going to tell you, it's something God is calling each one of us to something bigger than ourselves. That's part of being a follower of Jesus, right? Called Peter to walk on the water. Then he says, I'm going to have you something to do even bigger. You're going to be a fisher of men. I'm going to build my church on you. That's way bigger than Peter because we read about him in Scripture, right? He could do some doofusy stuff. But he's an amazing guy because God did in him what he could never have done on his own. And you know, God is calling you to something bigger than just the life that you could live in the sum total of your life. 
He says, will you live for me? But it's not just you individually. He's called us together as his church, as his family, to do something huge. And next week, we're going to talk about that. The vision that God has called us to, which is way bigger than us. It's ridiculous, really. It's absolutely ridiculous. But you know what? If you have the faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. So today, let's rededicate ourselves to the Lord. Let's hear his voice. Let's trust him. Let's take steps of obedience. And how can you do that? Well, if you have your connection card, I've got a next step for you. A step of faithfulness today, just a step. Mustard seed-sized faith. Maybe for you this week, that next step, on the back of your connection card that's right here, it could be this, to memorize Matthew 17, 20. Because this world's going to tell you, if you have enough faith, like you have the strength within you, to do it. No, no, no. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, that's what the passage says. You could say this mountain move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible. Start with God's word. Let it be a shield about you. Let it be a filter for your heart and your mind, right, as we begin this process of seeing God work in our lives. So maybe that's where you begin. And then after you have that memorized, maybe where you need to start here is to listen to God, trust, and act. To stop asking God to bless your plans, but ask God to allow you to be a blessing for his plans. To stop saying, God, what will you have me do? Right? What, what, what can I do? And say, God, what will you have me do? What are you calling me to? To have God give you that direction and trust his ability and then start taking steps of faithfulness. Just trust him. Or maybe what you need to do this week is to pray for our church and our community. God has called us to saturate this valley with the great news of who Jesus is. To, to, to serve this community as a light of the gospel for everyone. And that's in the Bible, by the way. Jesus said, I have all authority everywhere, which includes Estes, and therefore go make disciples of all peoples. Guess what? There's a lot of all peoples out there. He's called us. It's ridiculous. How are we going to do it? We'll talk about it next week. But I'll tell you what, it's not going to happen if we don't include prayer and fasting. There are some demons that only get cast out with prayer and fasting. And there are some communities that can only be reached through prayer and fasting. Will you pray with us? Will you fast? And when you ask God to make sure that our ears are listening to him and not our own super cool ideas, right? We want his amazing idea, his impossible things. Ask that we are listening to him. Can you pray for us? Maybe that's what you do this week. Or how about this? Maybe if you're a member, you attend the membership meeting next week. Right? We need to come together as a church and say, this is what we're doing. If you're not a member, we're going to have a membership meeting in a couple months. You, we'd love to have you part of that. But if you are a member, be here. We're going to talk about the vision and where we're going. We're going to pray about it together as we begin taking steps of faith for the great things that God are going to do. And if you're even not a member, bring food. We'll have a potluck, and we'd love to have you for that too. So make your commitments. And here in a second, we're going to take our offering. As we take our offering, I invite you to take your, the, the memory verse card off, obviously, and keep that with you. And then take this connection card, drop it in the offering basket along with your tithes and your gifts. Let this be your first step of faith in God's call. All right, so let's pray for you as you do that and have the worship team come out and join us. Our very last song. Let's pray. Father God, I pray a blessing over those that are here today. First blessing, Father, help them be encouraged by your word. Father, I pray your Holy Spirit would bolster them that you can do the impossible. Father, let us not be dissuaded by what we see, but Father, let us be encouraged by who you are and knowing that you're the God of all things, the possible and the impossible. So give us the ability to trust you. 
And Lord, I pray that as we keep the commitments we made on our connection cards this week, that you would work in them and through them to demonstrate the reality of you in our life, that you would do what we can't do. And Father, I pray a blessing upon them as well, that, that you would help them grow, all of us, grow in faith in such a way that we encourage one another all the more as we see the day approaching, that you return in great glory. But until you do, help us to finish that, the race. Let us win the prize which you've called us to. So Father, give us the ability to have that enduring faith. Bless each one of us that are part of us to do that. Father, I ask pray a protection over them as they drive home today in this snowy, snowy weather. Uh, Father, that uh, you would keep us not only safe in the, in the body, but also in the spirit this week. May you do your work in us and through us. And Father, we pray for the gifts that we're bringing you today. These are signs of our worship, centering our life on you, acts of dependence, Lord, that we can't make it this life alone, but you provide what we need. So please take these gifts and to build them, use them, multiply them to do your work. We pray all of this through the name of our almighty Savior, Jesus. Amen.